Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Judgment Podcast. The episode notes for this incredibly entertaining and informative episode that you are about to consume are available at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Today, we're going to address a topic that's often overlooked at trials, but it really sometimes can become the worst part of the jury trial process. That's right. Of course, we're talking about voir dire. Now, Tane, okay, I need, first I need we you to make a choice. <laughs> I need you to ride a horse I knew here. we were going here. I knew, yeah. Are you going to say voir dire or are you going to say voir dire? Okay, so voir dire was my choice that I went with for years, but it was because I had taken French for so many years, and, and those two words are French. Or, I mean, they, they are the same in French, and so it's pronounced voir dire in French. But I've now come around because I'm a Southerner and I'm practicing in Georgia and everybody says voir dire. So I'm just going to say voir dire and I'm just going to get on that horse and I'm going to ride it all the way through this segment. So, all right, with that out of the way, makes me so happy. With that out of the way, I'm just going to say one little comment, which is who among us has not wanted to puncture their eardrums with a pencil uh, during long and draggy voir dire? Voir dire. I said voir dire. Voir dire. You're, now you're going to do a, a, a combo of the two. Yeah. I, I will tell you, I have Tane, um, and it is my pet peeve, and I will admit it. And I spoke to a group of lawyers, and they had a heart attack that said that I wasn't going to let them try their case in Vordire. But at the end of the day, I know what we're going to talk about today, Tane, is harder for the judge. It's longer for the judge. But, God, it makes the trial cleaner. Yeah. It makes the record better. And it makes it faster. Yeah, and, and I also think about it from the juror's perspective. And, you know, we bring them in, and the first thing we do to them is subject them to this tedious process. It's a pat-down. Yeah, it is. It is it's more of a body cavity search. But still, <laughs> this this um, th- this tedious process, and it really turns them off on the process from the very beginning. And so we're going to give you some tips today that I think will be helpful about that, um, that'll help speed up the process and help move it along. And we're going to give you, even more important, some case law that will bolster your ability to say to the lawyers, uh-uh-uh, not doing that. Here's why. So as always on the Good Judgment Podcast, if you don't have to try to write all this down. That's right. You don't have to remember it all. You don't you might be driving your expensive automobile. You might be running great distances on that treadmill or yeah, well, not, you can you're be walking on a treadmill. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We see you. Anyway, that's right. You can always find this this wonderful outline. Where can they find it, Tane? Find it at goodjudgepod.com, folks. Uh, That's where the outline will be. So I'm going to start off with some basic stuff. Um, And first of all, one of the first citations that we give you is the case law that says it is permissible for the court to require written voir dire questions in advance of trial. I started doing this during the pandemic. Um, I was trying to figure out ways to make people speed up <laughs> their their jury process because um you know things were bad enough for the jurors and because we and you had spacing issues yeah, yeah we we couldn't bring as many people into the courtroom at one time so we couldn't ask all the general questions all at once and i was just trying to figure out ways how can i speed up this process and so what i started doing in that process is having people send me their voir dire questions well in advance of trial so that i could say nope 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 and also or yes 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 or yes, yes. Yes, yes, yeah. And, and, but you could also shuffle the deck and, and not ask 
over here, do you know these people that might be relevant to this case? Do a bunch of other stuff, then ask it again because you hit the defendant's question. Well, so, so, you're, get, so you're getting ahead of me. So, oh, what, so what I did was I would get people to send me the questions, and I would say, I'm going to ask the general questions. And yeah. that, that leads to what you're saying. I'd say, lawyers, I know you you know, you know want to get in there and be real chummy with the, the jury, but that's taking way too much of my time and the jury's time. So I am going to do what they have always done in federal court, and that is I'm going to get you to send me these questions in advance. I will rule on which questions are permissible and impermissible. And again, we're going to give you the science for those. And then I'm going to ask the general questions. Then you can get all chummy and ask your follow-up questions and ask the other things, but I'm going to ask the general questions. And and and, and we've talked about this a little in in some of the other podcasts. But one other things that I one other thing that I did is several years ago, we started using juror numbers and we gave people little paddles that look almost like a, you know, what I call a funeral home fan. Uh, or one of those bidding paddles. Or like a bidding, it, yeah, like an auction. auction. Yeah. And it has a number on it. And when they answer a question affirmatively in the general questions, they just hold it up. And when they hold it up, so I ask the general question. And then when they hold up their panel, I say, Three, seven, nine, nineteen, twenty-two, twenty-seven, and we are done with that question. Uh, now I'm going to tell you what I've actually done to even further that. Yeah, I wait just a second after the paddles start to go up. Mm-hmm. I say, okay, everybody, hold them up high. That has a response. All right, bailiff, please read them off. There you go. So now I've got the bailiff reading them in order. Yes. Per row. Yes. So I can be writing, and I'm not trying to look and write and look and sure. write and yeah. look and write. I'm just writing. Yeah, yeah. And I have the bailiff read them. And that way, do you know how much better that record is? Oh. Than what we were doing before? No doubt about it. The appellate it. courts would have no idea if Juror 37 responded. And I will give you one other really good hint, I think. I tell the jurors this. Before we ever start the general questions, I say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to ask you a series of questions here. They're going to be of a very general nature. All you need to do is hold up your number if you have an affirmative response to that question. And ladies and gentlemen, it is very important that uh, in order to make sure that this process goes by smoothly and quickly, if you even think for any reason whatsoever this question applies to you, just go ahead and raise your paddle. You don't have to ask me a qualifying question. Well, does it apply if it's my cousin? If, if the law does enforcement officer is out of state. Exactly. Yeah, if, yeah. if it was military law enforcement, MP. No, you don't have to ask any of those questions. Just if you think it applies, raise your paddle because these lawyers over here are going to ask you follow-up questions and clarify why did you raise your paddle on that question. So just go ahead. It has been amazing. The jurors never ask another question. They just hold their little paddle up, and sometimes you'll see them halfway put it up, and you go, hey, juror number seven, is that up or down? And they go, exactly. ahead, juror number seven. And uh, so anyway, that's the way that I start this process. And, and again, backing all the way up to the beginning, because uh, this, is, this is the way I started doing this during COVID, and I continued to do it after COVID, um, if there is such thing as after COVID. Um, The first thing I did was I had a listing of what we're going to give you folks today, which is, and and credit where credit's due, it was a listing that was given to me by Wade uh, (laughs) that he had done uh, of permissible and impermissible questions as defined by Georgia law. And I send it to the lawyers and I say, 
Here are the permissible and impermissible questions as defined by Georgia law. Don't ask me to ask any of the ones that are on this list. And I got some pushback from lawyers sometimes, but the case law was right there for them. I sent them the cases, uh, or at least the citations for the cases for that. So is that something kind of like yeah, what you do, Yeah, and, and you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking we, we just got— we we just prepared for a civil trial that settled. I know you're shocked by that. Oh, that's shocking, yeah. And you know they should have gone to a good mediator before they settled that. Do you case, know any? Wade. Well, I could give you some numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I figured we were about to hit shameless self promotion. We go were going to hear the the plug for Renaissance right here. Renaissance Trial Solutions. Go ahead. Wade. Um, so anyway, <laughs> in listening to what you said, sending out the 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 cases is a great idea. Because nobody knows them. I mean, no, no. I I was unaware of the bulk of those cases that were out there before I looked over that list. And, and so s- some lawyers don't know that a question that they've asked for years is actually a question that Georgia courts have said, oh, that's a that's that's an impermissible. That's irrelevant. Question. That's yeah. impermissible. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. But and I so love I'm, my bumper sticker question, Wade. I know. What kind of <laughs> anybody got a bumper sticker? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. That's a great question. All right. So let's let's go back to some of the basics, Wade. Let's talk about um, what the talk a little bit, Wade, about what the right that a that a criminal defendant has to ask questions of a juror. Okay. That's kind of a good starting place. So if you start in 1512-133, that provides, at least in part, that in the examination, counsel for either party shall have the right to inquire of the individual jurors examined, touching on any matter or thing which would illustrate any interest of the juror in the case, including any opinion as to which party ought to prevail, the relationship or acquaintance of the juror with the parties or counsel, therefore, any fact or circumstances indicating any inclination, leaning, or bias which the juror may have respecting the subject matter of the action or counsel or the parties thereto and the religious, social, and fraternal connections of the juror. Now, well, well, well wait, Wade, there's got to be an and to that because what about whether they've ever been in the military? Because, I mean, we need to know that in every or case. Or if they've ever been on a jury. Exactly, whether they've been on a jury before. I mean, that's got to okay. be in the statute let, let, somewhere. Let's hit the brakes. <laughs> if the case involves something military, mm-hmm. maybe. Okay, yeah, maybe. But the fact that they have previously served on a jury. Now, let's be honest. Let's be honest as lawyers and then as not not advocates, okay? Okay. As a lawyer, you would love to know if that juror is in the habit of voting not guilty. Right. And has had the, the a positive experience from voting not guilty. Of course. You would want to know if that person's only voted guilty. Right. Now, that doesn't have a darn thing to do with the list I just read. No, it does not. Because it would have to be an identical case, identical case. Right. You would have to find out information about that trial. That's right. And this trial. That's right. We're not doing that. Nope. And, and now, now lawyers are devastated. You hear me? Devastated when I say you can't ask that question. They get aggravated. I mean, that they question really, right there. Yeah. They want that question. I know. I because know. and you would want to know if somebody's in the military. They're used to following rules. Yeah. They have standards of conduct. Yeah. We want to know that if we're lawyers, right? That's that's right. But that's not that doesn't show any interest, inclination, leaning, or bias in this case relevant to these facts. Or any relationship between the parties and the juror or anything like that. So so we're we're gonna go over some of those and I'll I'll tell you what's funny. And it, it, but I'll also tell you kind of my general rule. 
if the lawyers are basically giving me all good questions, they're not the really bad questions and they're not asking me to ask things I've already sent out to them, but they want me to ask whether people have ever been on a jury before. It's not error. It's not wrong. It's not improper. Are you going to let them follow up? Them. I, I might let them follow up with <sighs> one question. But again, only if all the other questions are good questions and we're not wasting time. If, the other, if they've got a thousand questions and that's one of them they want me to ask, that one's getting marked out every time. I mean, it, it's just, I don't, just don't waste my time, don't waste the jury's time. So, this, this would be a practice point for lawyers that used to appear in front of the former Judge Kell, yeah. <laughs> but I got a feeling he's not alone in his attitude. Yeah. No, I, th- I, I, think, that's, I think that's the way it works out. So, so where, where a potential juror, you know, you've been in these void years before, Tane, where there are jurors <laughs> trying to wreck it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And they are trying to get kicked off, and yeah. you, and your denial of the request to be exempted from jury duty then became a you didn't grant the 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 four cause excusal. So they are going to answer questions in a way that they are trying to wreck the panel, right? Or they're making a speech, you know, for the purpose of yeah, making their political point or whatever it is. Yeah, it does. So in determining whether you are required to somehow discharge the panel, you know, if it's infected the panel, so to speak, Mm -hmm. the inquiry is not whether it's weird or whatever, whether it's a little dicey. The question is whether the remarks were inherently prejudicial and deprive the defendant now, the defendant, this is a defendant's right, of his right to begin his trial with a jury free from even a suspicion of prejudgment or fixed opinion. Yeah, the the proper procedure for d- determining whether you have what's referred to in the cases as a tainted panel. In other words, that one juror has said something that's so prejudicial that it's it, a mistrial, right? Yeah, that it. Well, no, that and that's that's a good point that you yeah that you bring up there, Wade. The proper procedure for that is a motion to disqualify the panel. Now, this takes us to uh, another proper or another point that that we. Uh, that was kind of brought home during COVID, and that is, um, I had, I, I am mindful as you are that there is a statute that says that if the lawyers wish to have the panel examined in groups of twelve, in other mm. words, twelve, the twelve in the box um, procedure, which we all know uh, essentially increases, if it's requested, if it's requested, you have to, then do. you have to do it. Here's what I would ask the lawyers. During COVID in particular, I would say, listen, if you want to have the jurors brought in in individual panels, would you allow me to bring them in panels of 15 instead of 12? Or would you let me do it for individual, not general? Yes. And and those were my two requests of them. I would say, can we do these two things? A, can we ask all the general questions with the entire panel there? Because they're just general. They're just going to raise their little uh, bidding paddle and, and get called upon. Or and or can we then bring them in in panels of 15? You say, well, what's the difference between 15 and 12? The difference is I normally need 45 jurors at least in a criminal case to get a jury. Uh, if I can do it in three panels instead of four, then we've cut out a quarter, 25% of our time in qualifying the jury. And so I never had anyone say no to 15 instead of 12. And, and it, it really worked well. All right. So back to, to, back, so, to yeah. no, back to this issue. So the reason it's not a mistrial, right? right. Because a mistrial is only granted after, after a jury. jeopardy attaches. Sw- exactly. And a jury has right. been sworn That's is right. where jeopardy attaches in a criminal case. Correct. 
So the motion, the proper way to do it is motion to disqualify the panel. If you think that panel is tainted, there is really no great test with this, but, but if you think that panel has been tainted, just get a new panel. If you have to wait a month to the next jury selection, that, that's just the way that is. That doesn't taint the panel for every criminal trial. That taints the panel for this criminal trial. Right. And it's really just the people that heard it. So, you know, if yeah. you had if you had 15 in the room and you've still got 30 more waiting downstairs, you still have more people you can examine for that case. Now, the, a challenge to the poll, a, a motion to disqualify the panel, don't get lost on the nomenclature. Right. It's, it's Just know it's not a mistrial. Do not grant a mistrial because the trial never started. That's a great point. Until jeopardy attaches, until that jury is sworn, it's not a mistrial. It's just a procedural uh, dismissal of the panel to put some more people in there to, to select a proper jury. Um, generally, just so you know this, there's a case called, uh, called Johnson versus State that said, generally a dismissal of a jury panel is required when during voir dire, a prospective juror relays information that is specific to the defendant and germane to the case for which the defendant is on trial. Dismissal is not required when the statements establish only, they called it, gossamer possibilities of prejudice. Meaning, Do you think they just walk around with a thesaurus saying... All right, somebody come up with a new word for slight. No, Wade, I think they're just that smart. That's what I think. Gossamer. Gossamer, I love that. Um, but but that is an interesting point. Um, you know, you will have the case where someone will stand up and say, yeah, I know the defendant. That's the last, a, thing, I, that's he, the last thing I want them to say in front of all. He was an SOB in high school. <laughs> You know, he raped a girl one time. The last thing I want them to say in front of the entire panel. We right. had one of those in a reason in a one of my last cases. I was like, eh, hold, don't say anything else. Yeah. <laughs> and then we pulled him out individually and and let them ask him every question. All right. So let's, have, let's let's go ahead and we hit, we weren't going to talk about this, but let's talk about this. Yeah. I don't allow. Back when lawyers were asking these questions, mm -hmm. I don't allow people to approach the bench. Mm -hmm. I don't allow the lawyers to approach the bench. I don't allow the defendant to approach the bench. I agree. I don't allow the bailiff really to approach the bench mm -hmm. because I want everything on the record. So the lawyers were in this bad habit. Look, if you have something that's really embarrassing and personal, you just let us know and the judge will let you approach the bench. And well, no, we're not. No. No, yeah. we're not. And then everybody will be like, well, how are we going to do it? We're going to clear the courtroom except for the defendant and the parties, not clear the courtroom, but clear the other jurors. Right. And let the the don't don't start promising something the judge is not willing to do. So, right. I, given that this judge is not going to let you approach the bench, and we'll talk in just a second about why, I would I would intervene when they would say that, and or let them know early we're not going to do it. Yeah, I actually do you allow. No, I actually gave in my preliminary charges to the panel when I'm just talking to them about what I'm going to do and what the process looks like. Before the lawyers have an opportunity to say something like that, I say to the jurors, you know, we're going to be asking some things, and some of them may be of a personal nature. If there is something that you would prefer to discuss outside the presence of your fellow jurors, if you will note that when the question is asked, we will make arrangements for you to be asked those questions outside the presence of your fellow jurors. But so, at no point did you say you're going to have a private one-on-one -on -one up here exactly or back right. in chambers or nope. whatever. Because that's not what's going to happen. What's going Why to happen is that is not going to happen? Because, first of all, I want to make a good record. So I don't want people coming up to the bench and saying things that don't get 
heard by the court reporter. Secondly, in a criminal in a criminal jury trial, a criminal defendant has the ability to be present during everything that happens during jury selection. So are you going to ask the deputies to bring the defendant up shackled up to the bench or are, you going or, to, are really close or, in yeah. case he decides to go rogue? Now, how are you yeah. going to get the court reporter to turn all that equipment around Exactly, and record that, so, right? So my procedure always has been... Uh, you have a, you say, I'd really rather, you know, discuss that outside or they get emotional and you say, would you prefer to discuss this outside the presence of the other jurors? Yes. When we're, you know, when we finish with that panel or when we finish or there's a natural breaking point, I say, folks, if you'd step to the jury room back here with the bailiff, I just need juror number 17 to stay here and we'll ask you those other questions that we were going to ask. And then we ask them. You know, that's but you do it with the public present, with oh, the court reporter present, defendant present? There has never been a time when I have cleared my courtroom for any reason. The only thing I've done is ask the other jurors to step uh, step out. So so let's go, Wade, into, into what all the judges, at least, are out there breathlessly awaiting, and that is for us to talk about permissible but even more important impermissible types of questions. And I think we can kind of go through some of the permissible ones quickly because they mirror yeah. the statute and they talk about what we've talked about a minute ago. But let's let's talk about some of that. So if any of these if, if the question being asked meets any of this criteria, let it in. Any opinion about which party should prevail, the relationship or acquaintance with the defendant or with counsel, any fact or circumstance indicating any inclination, leaning or bias respecting the subject matter of the action, counsel, including the elected parties involved or the defendant, and any religious, social or fraternal connections that the jurors may have. And understand those general categories apply both in criminal and in civil cases, broadly speaking. Right. Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification. Folks, this is Wade and Tane. You're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And tell your friends it's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And now back to our studio audience. All right, so now. Here we get with some things that are going to be more important. These are things you need to allow. Now, need to allow. You need to allow, in a drug case, for the defendant to ask if the juror or any member of the juror's family has ever had problems with drugs. You need to allow them, if the juror indicates that they have a relationship with anyone connected to the case, it is actually error not to allow counsel enough latitude to determine if that relationship will result in bias. Don't assume merely because they're not related within the third degree that that would apply. You need to allow evidence as to whether the juror has ever been represented by counsel in the case. The lawyer here, have you ever represented, uh, have any of these lawyers ever represented you or somebody in your family, et cetera? 
Yeah, you also need to allow them to ask as to whether a juror knows or is related to any witness in the case. And so, as in, as Wade was saying a minute ago, one of the great things about consolidating all these questions is I just took every witness's name and said, raise your hand if you know or have any relationship with any of the following people. Boom, 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 and ask every witness. But that is something that uh, you need to be sure and allow people to know. Um, you need to allow uh, the lawyers to re- ask questions regarding any juror prejudice as to the subject matter of the suit, um, whether the juror or any close family members are employed in law enforcement. This isn't the military thing we were laughing about a few minutes ago, but but law enforcement. That's an important question, too, because understand um, that in a criminal case, um, any individual who is sworn, who is a sworn peace officer at the time of trial, um, is disqualified Incompetent, from being able, whatever way yeah, you want to look at it, to be to be able to serve on that jury. So now this is a case that came out. It's called Ellington. Has no relation to the awesome Justice Ellington, but but this case is important, and I think it's worthy of spending just a second. If you have a unique fact, now I don't know what you're going to call unique fact, but if you're if you have a unique fact that is relevant to this case, you need to allow the lawyers to ask the jurors if that fact alone, without any other fact, is going to make it difficult for you to hear this case. For example, Ellington was a molestation case where the juror had such a strong feeling about child molestation because they had been a victim of child molestation themselves that it would impair their judgment or make it difficult to judge the case. What the case is, what that case came out and said is where the, the I, I think it actually Ellington may have been this next one, where the, where the victim of a murder was the child. The jury should be and can be, and you should allow them to be asked whether the fact alone that the victim was a child, that fact alone would make it impossible for them to be fair. I will tell you, I know the capital defenders have grasped this rule because their Vordire questions have specifically included the fact central to this case. I know that one of our colleagues recently tried a death penalty case and the fact that the alleged victim was someone involved in law enforcement, they were allowed to ask that question. Yeah, and I, I will just I'll just throw out there, and this is just tame, this isn't the law of the state of Georgia or anything, but I would say in sex cases you're going to have to give the lawyers more latitude to ask questions about how these emotional type issues will affect the jurors in the case. And you may ultimately determine that their answer to them is not disqualifying, but you you should probably allow them to ask those questions. So whether race is going to be an issue, national immigration status, national origin, any of those sorts of issues, if there is any way that that question becomes a part of the parameters of the case you need to allow it and finally the state can ask and i think this is really dicey this is is the one that i just kind of went "Hmm." me too but the state can ask whether anyone on the panel believes that a person who assists another in the commission of a crime should not be prosecuted that feels like a prejudgment of the case. I, I can show you a bunch of cases that say, no, no, that's prejudgment of the case. But for some reason, this one case came out that is cited in our outline where they can find, which can be found where, Tane? At goodjudgepod.com. I try to always catch Tane, and I never do. <laughs> but but that the state, the appellate court said the state can ask that question. I don't know. Yeah. Now, so 
Now, now let's we go get to, to the, the, good, the, the good, good stuff. stuff. Yeah, right. this is what you this is what you guys showed up for right That's here. Right. What these, you do not have to allow. These are the questions that you do not have to allow, and you will recognize a lot of familiar questions here. So let's start off, Wade, with a few uh, irrelevant questions. Generally, you cannot ask jurors about books, magazines, television programs, bumper stickers, or their views on abortion. Assuming you, abortion wasn't an issue in the case, you mean I can't ask whether they frequently watch CSI and then say you understand that the state doesn't have the ability to bring the blah blah blah. Yeah, that, that question ugh, I got so tired of that question. But you also can't ask whether they watch CNN or Fox. Right. Because you're trying to get some some general you know, I don't know demographic information about the jurors. We have a case on in here folks that says you may not ask them about prior military service. Just go to I'm not good on my Roman numerals, but it looks like number 19 is <laughs> in the end notes would be your case on military service. So asking jurors about the employment of the children's not allowed except you can ask whether law enforcement employment if their children are employed in law enforcement, you can't ask that question. It may not be disqualifying, but you can ask that question, particularly in a criminal case. Yeah. Asking jurors whether they smoke cigarettes or drink alcohol. Um, the alcohol question is a frequent one. Now, I don't know in a DUI case whether I would disqualify the question of a juror as to what their opinions are on drinking alcohol or not. I might let it in. in what that about case in the self-defense case? Does anybody here possess a firearm? Yeah, I mean, I think in that case, I might let them ask that question. Again, these are questions that the court has said you don't have to let them ask, but you could let them ask it if you wanted to. In a case where somebody hits somebody with a table leg, does anybody own a table leg? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. Okay, all right. All right. Uh, uh, have you ever taken a Spanish class? Again, if this case involves Spanish speakers, I might that might be more relevant to me. Right. Otherwise, here's case law in the outline at goodjudgepod.com that says you don't have to allow that. And case. now the big one. There is a case at footnote number 23 that says you it is irrelevant whether a juror has had prior jury service. Whether On a grand, grand jury. Pettit jury or been, the, been the foreman of the jury. And how did the jury, jury rule? I will, I will have a caveat, though. There is a qualifying question that asks whether anyone has served on the grand jury which indicted this particular Correct. case, Correct. and you should cite the term of that grand yeah, jury yeah, yeah. and the foreperson. So yeah, that's absolutely. the exception to that. All right, so we had irrelevant questions we don't have to allow. Prior jury services deemed irrelevant. Now, these are hypothetical, argumentative, or, case, or questions that require prejudgment of the case. So... If the if the case excuse me the question is framed in language which is confusing or unduly argumentative, or which is general and hypothetical, or which is general or technically legal, and there's a zillion cases cited there. Well, and and there are a zillion questions that have been asked by lawyers to be asked, uh, and and so many of them fall into this category. So talk about hypothetical questions. They're not prohibited per se. No, um, they. So questions of a hypothetical nature regarding the evidence in the case, the court has some discretion in, um, on hypothetical questions, but not if the answer requires a prejudgment of the case. So in other words, 
you shouldn't allow them to ask a, a hypothetical question in such a way as to uh, prejudge the case based on evidence that may be adduced or that they think is going to be adduced in the case. And I, I'd, if you have a hypothetical question, I would look at it under very close scrutiny before I would allow them to ask. And, and don't forget this, too. You might let them ask a different question or a question phrased in a different manner. But you may say that question as asked is an improper question. And if you want to write me another question, counsel, and submit that in that nature, um, I'd consider it. So now we move from hypothetical to possible defenses and asking basically, are you sort of willing to accept this defense in general? Yeah. Asking whether a jury could believe a defense of insanity, that's improper. Mm-hmm. Any question that tests the, the witness, the, excuse me, the juror's willingness to accept a particular offense. For example, does anyone here think it's improper to always, it's always improper to use a gun to defend yourself? You, you, you don't get into that because you're asking them to prejudge the case on not all facts. Yeah. Um, For example, you cannot ask about jurors' feelings about a case where the allegations involve a man beating a woman. Um, Again, that's that's talking about possible defenses or or, uh, prejudgment of the case. You can't ask jurors if they think it is possible for a gun to discharge accidentally because two people are tussling over it. Again, I love the word tussle. Go ahead. Just just you're trying to prejudge. I mean, you're trying to prejudge a case. That's what you're trying to do. Yeah. And you know what? I don't blame lawyers for trying to um, pre-try. I mean, trying to try their case during voir dire. I used to do it as a civil lawyer and cheater. I know. That's why it's just asking if jurors have ever heard of a death being accidental. Yeah, uh, asking jurors whether the the defense cannot ask whether the jurors have ever heard of the phrase guilt by association and what that phrase means to the jurors. I mean, again, that's asking them to make some legal conclusions and judgments. It's also improper to ask for what their verdict might be without hearing any evidence. And I've heard some of these questions over the years. Asking jurors what their verdict would be as they sit here today without hearing any evidence or if they believe that because the defendant is here in the courtroom, he must be guilty of something. I mean, we've all heard people try to ask that question. Um, you Asking whether a juror would convict if the only evidence was only one witness's witness identification. So, um, again, that's a prejudgment. Asking the jury if they believe the defendant might be guilty, but the state has not proved it beyond a reasonable doubt whether the verdict would be guilty or not guilty. Again, trying to get people, jurors to buy into this guilt thing. Asking if jurors would be reluctant to return a not guilty verdict if there was a reasonable doubt as to guilt. Asking the jury if they believe, if they understand, they would also be enforcing the law by voting not guilty if the case is not proven. That's improper. Would would the juror believe certain witnesses over others, the reliability of certain witnesses? Now, you know we've all heard that. Would you believe law enforcement more than other witnesses in the case? That's, that's improper. Improper. Asking if they would believe the accused testimony is worth is less valuable than that of any other witness is improper. Asking jurors about the reliability of eyewitness identification. I mean, we all need that lay expert witness right there in Vordire, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> so the next thing I don't see as much, but I see it occasionally, and it's really offensive when it happens, and that is, are you aware of notorious cases? It used to be the O.J. Simpson yeah. case 
was everybody asked, but whether they would, whether the jurors are familiar with the O.J. Simpson case or how they would have voted in the O.J. Simpson case or any other notorious case, even a local case, that's just improper. Yeah. Um, these are going to be questions that touch on the presumption of innocence or some technical legal questions. For Again, the these are improper questions. These are questions that should not be asked. Um, asking that the defendant is presumed innocent unless evidence proves beyond a reasonable doubt that he is guilty. So uh, questions relating to the presumption of innocence of the of this particular defendants in this case. And that would include whether or not you are the jurors are okay with the principle of uh, presumption of innocence, whether or not they think that's a good rule. That's an improper question. Right. Whether they think that sometimes innocent men are charged with crimes. Whether they believe the defendant is innocent as he sits here right now. Yeah. Um, question, these next ones are questions relating to the uh, age-old question that lawyers want to ask about whether uh, the, the jurors believe the defendant must have done something to be here sitting in this courtroom at this time. So, for example, um, asking if the presence of a state prosecutor means that the defendant must be guilty of something. Asking if the presence of the, de- the defendant that he must have done something wrong or he wouldn't be here. We've already talked about that once. Mm-hmm. What weight would they give the fact that the defendant has been indicted? That's an improper question as well. Um, these are questions uh, relating to grand jury or the indictment. Again, technical legal type questions um, that um, whether the jury is aware that proceedings before the grand jury are one-sided. And whether or not the jury understands that the indictment is merely an accusation and is not evidence of anything. Um, Things relating to burden of proof. Again, technical legal questions. Things like asking uh, whether jurors have a feeling on the state's burden of proof. You know, again, when you start asking about people's emotions and feelings, you're you're usually going into a, a danger zone of some kind. I am... You, you have those people who always want to ask that question, what do they, do you like the law? What would you do if you didn't like the law? Do you understand you still have to enforce law even if you don't agree with it? All of that, all of that is taboo. That's right. Um, asking jurors whether they understand that the state's burden is beyond a reasonable doubt. Again, their their belief of what the, the legal um, requirements are. Asking if the jurors, if that they would expect someone who pleads not guilty to give some kind of explanation or to take the stand, whether you would expect them. In other words, all those questions that are asking the jurors to apply the law that we know is true, that the defendant has no duty to testify and has a right to remain silent, all of those questions are improper. And we've touched on this, but opinions of uh, jurors' opinions about the laws or the justice system or uh, things that are argumentative, hypothetical. Whether drugs pre-judged. change people. Yeah. Asking, uh, for example, uh, is these are improper questions still. Asking whether the criminal justice system works or if criminals are treated too lenient, leniently. I've heard that so many times. All of those questions are improper. Any question that asks the, the jurors to put themselves in the position of the defendant, if you were unfortunate enough to find yourself as the as in the same sitting at this table like my awesome client John Jones here would you would you whatever vote for something or do you understand any of those questions that start with that preamble they're just improper that's exactly right so Tane let's talk about how you might handle jury selection we've talked about it in the general vordar 
do you get very involved in the individual or do you just bring juror number one up? Hey, any questions from the state? Any questions from the defense? Sir, go back to the jury assembly room. Any questions from the state? Juror two. So so generally speaking, again, uh, COVID, of course, changed a lot. But w- uh, during COVID, I had usually people in panels. I had them in panels of 15. Um, I would have them ask their individual questions of that juror in front of the other members of the panel. Um, I mean, in fact, we just had them stay in their seat and let the state ask their question, let the defense ask their you question. Hand, I mean, did you hand them a microphone? During COVID, see, that was my big thing. During COVID, I couldn't feel like I – so I brought them to a podium, and yeah. we actually had a cleaning crew that cleaned yeah. the thing. Yeah, we um, – what we did during COVID, and probably not the best procedure in the world, but we had a microphone. The microphone had a, a – um, <laughs> Cover condom. on, yeah, it's a microphone condom basically on it. Um, we would give them uh, a, a tissue, and they would hold the microphone with their own individual tissue, and they would, you know, speak with their masks on. Actually, usually off. We had them speak with them off and uh, speak in the microphone. But 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 the the gist of all of that is post COVID. Um, I would just allow the defense, um, the state to ask any questions of juror number one, defense to ask any questions of juror number one. When they finish with those questions, they're done with juror number one. We could have sent them out of the room. We just would usually wait till the end of the panel, but but they were done. Then we go to juror number two, three, four, and do the same thing during that. So And you'll, they'll have a lot of questions for some and very few questions for others, but there'll be some people, and, and it'll still become painfully obvious to you, you don't know a damn thing about juror number seven. Oh, yeah. They because haven't they haven't responded hand. to yeah. anything. There is nothing that they were relevant to, and they don't really have any individual questions to you ask. Take a little quick pulse and yeah, make sure they're it. still alive. <laughs> and know, you kind of wave your hand. <laughs> Put a mirror under their nose. It's all good. But So, so, so let's, let's, let's wrap up in case yeah. we went too fast for some people. Um, how to handle jury selection. This is just a suggestion. There's absolutely no requirement that you do this, but both of us have started doing it now. We're going to be honest. It is more work for the judge. Yeah. A lot more work. Yeah, but it also no, no, no. saves It's really a lot more work for the staff attorney. That's true. But but it makes the process so much cleaner. It yeah. makes people get their file out, get it ready. If this is really going to be a trial, you have a much cleaner trial and a much yeah. more efficient voir dire process. Now, I'm going to tell you that um, not only did I get pushback from lawyers when I said I was going to take over asking the general questions, but I had some colleagues who were just incensed that I was taking that function away from the lawyers. And I said, well, you know, I have now tested it enough times to know that it saves me probably hours uh, or an hour at least in the average jury trial if I ask the general questions. We were asking our general questions. Usually we would get finished with that in 20 minutes, 15 minutes. Whereas it was taking an hour per panel or, you know, 45 minutes per panel. Because would, you had the lead up and the yuck yucks exactly. and the I couldn't hear yous and all that. That was exactly and right. And your record wasn't as good. Your record was much worse. So, yeah. So so let me, let's just go back over some of these tips. Um, the first thing I would say is consider sending out a list of these impermissible and permissible questions to the lawyers in advance of trial. Even if you don't intend to take away that ability of asking the general questions from them or anything anything like that, just send it to them and, say, great and say, don't ask these questions. Uh, no. Have counsel. And the second point or sort of 
practice tip, I guess. Have counsel submit general questions well in advance of the trial for vetting by the court. Yeah, because again, especially if you're going to ask the questions, but even if you're not, you can cut out all the unnecessary. He asked the question, there's an objection to the question by the other side, then you have to rule on that. That's all done. That's done in advance. Now, I will say to you, if you exclude some of their questions based on what they submitted to you ahead of time, I strongly suggest that you make a good record by going over the questions that you excluded from the lawyers, let particularly me if they ask you to do that. Let me interject and tell you what I have done. If I create a document from your document with court's response underneath every one of your proposed questions, and I either make the ruling it's going to be allowed but rephrased or reorganized or not allowed and here's why, and I make that a document, both of those documents uh, exhibits in the case. And I start the trial with any objection to the the court asking the questions or the the rulings on the questions. By and large, once the lawyers get a, a, an appreciation for what they're going to be allowed to be asked, they're good. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. The next one is is one we just talked about, but determine whether or not ask having the court ask the general questions would expedite the process. My conclusion is it will, but you 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 do that for yourself. You consolidate those repetitive or duplicate questions into one from each side, so you ask it once. Mm-hmm. And then finally, our last tip. Change counsel's questions into acceptable and appropriate language. You can either ask them to rephrase it or you can rephrase it for them, but you can say, I'll ask this question. I won't ask the question you wanted me to ask. So, folks, we hope that this is helpful, and, and this is a helpful episode of the Good Judgment Podcast. We try always to, to share things, and, and we understand that not everybody agrees with us, but we try really hard to share the things we have developed independently or collectively, and then hopefully we won't be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so folks, um, on the website, on our website, goodjudgepod.com, we will put um, the memo that I send out uh, or have used to send out to lawyers pre-trial uh, talking about uh, acceptable and unacceptable uh, questions. Hopefully that'll be some help to you. If you have any questions for us or if you have any comments about the uh, podcast, please send those to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. And don't forget the podcast notes while they're at goodjudgepod. The email is goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Time out. The reason we keep saying that is because we don't think you hear it. (laughs) Because you ask us to send you a copy of the outline, and we're happy to do that. We're happy to do that. But it's available to you 24-7 at your leisure at goodjudgepod.com. It's on the internets. Internets, wherever they live. Yeah, wherever they are. Thank you for listening to the Good Judge Podcast. We are sincerely very uh, blessed that you have decided to spend some time with us. My name's Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And remember, always speak the truth. What dear. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. We try our best to give you actionable information, but in a format that does not make you want to hurt yourself. Two thoughts. Some topics allow us the latitude to be a little bit more fun. Number two, if we've failed you, we will try to do our best to do better in the next episode. We know that you have lots of choices and we're honored that you chose us this time. We're kind of amazed to be totally honest. This podcast began as a project that was initially the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the former director, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law, my new part-time employer. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But hey, nobody can get it all. 
Thanks to our unsung hero, Kevin Holder. You are instrumental in our podcast being published and made available to the public. We should have been singing your praises all along, but we didn't, so... Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges all across Georgia. Wade and I are also grateful to the State Justice Institute who allow us to do this through their generosity. You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, SJI, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. Contact someone else with your complaints. But seriously, we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Please visit our website, goodjudgepod.com, for all our episode outlines and more details about our podcasts. Some of you send emails asking for copies of the outlines. Seriously, people, they're available 24-7, 365 at the website goodjudgepod.com. And we say that like 20 times during every broadcast. But seriously, you can upload or download or otherwise use them as you wish and on your schedule and at your convenience. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And as always, I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening. Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this episode. Any last thoughts before we wrap this up? Yeah, Wade, I don't think we're taking enough callers during the show.